the reason social makes so much sense for a funeral home is not because it's a good trick to get in front of anybody. You can target, like all those things are great and there's a lot of tactics. But if you strip it down, the reason that social makes so much sense is because it's authenticity and it's relationship. 80% of funeral home business is relationship driven. So if relationships aren't a key focal point of their marketing, sure, they'll serve a family once, but they won't serve that family again. That family's just going to go on to somebody else. Welcome to the Direct Cremation Podcast with your hosts, Tyler Yamasaki and Will DeMichaelis. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of Disrupt Media, Connecting Directors, Funeral Nation TV, DeathCareJobs.com, and others. When you think about people in death care, his name is probably one of the top five people that you'll think about. He's got the style and drip of a male model. You may love him, you may hate him, but either way, you're thinking about him. Please welcome the Gary V of death care, Ryan Thogmartin. <laughs> that's a good intro. That's the yeah. that's solid. Respect. Thank you. All right. You you wanna, I can introduce you at your next uh, speaking Yeah, please engagement. do, man. Like, the, yeah. the, the, the intro up to that point was my daughter's at ICCFA. So, you know, this, this, this is pretty oh, solid. Nice. Oh, nice. Glad. We're glad. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned, I mean, you are definitely a well-known figure in death care. I think, you know, if someone was getting into death care right away, like we were, what is that, eight years ago, there were a few people that showed up right away and you were definitely one of them. So you've definitely built quite a recognizable brand. I appreciate it. That was the plan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right on. But before we get into what your current death care work is now, could you please share with us your background, how you got here, yeah. where you came from. And you can go back as far as you want. Like, I don't know, whatever helps to paint the picture of Ryan. Right, so I was born. No, we won't, we won't go back that far. Uh, <laughs> well, first, thanks for having me on, guys. I love being able to create content at heart. I feel like I am a content creator. That is what I do best. So this is cool. I like these opportunities. Let's go back to senior year of high school. That's probably where we can start of how I got into death care. I'll, I'll say I'm not a funeral director. I did not grow up in a funeral home. I don't have family that owns funeral homes. I didn't know anything about burial until I was like 22 years old. All I knew about was cremation. So I got duped into death care. And I'll go back to high school. I started a company the day I graduated high school, went to college, ran that company from my dorm room, dropped out of school, as all good entrepreneurs do. I realized that I had business professors that had never started a business, and I was further along in my journey than what they were teaching me. I loved business. I loved what I was doing. The first company I started was a, a marketing agency that was dealing in uh, pay-per-click. We would build websites for high schools in Ohio, sports websites, and then I would go door-to-door, sell advertising. This was like 2000, 2001. Most of the, the small businesses I was selling advertising to, it was their first touch with online advertising and banner ads. And uh, so really learning in the early days what would get people to click, where ads needed to go on a website, foreshadowed kind of a lot of what I do now. But when I would roll into a town to sell advertising, the very first business I would stop at would be a funeral home. Funeral homes always supported the local high school. And so I developed a great rapport with funeral directors, never gave it a second thought. That was just like roll into a town, find the funeral home, get the first win under my belt, set the tone for the week. 
So I ran that company after I dropped out of school for three more years, sold it, and was ready to get married. My girlfriend at the time, now wife, said, look, my dad's never going to say yes unless you've got some sort of income. I worked a couple of jobs in high school. Working for somebody isn't my bag of donuts, so I'll figure it out. And she said, why don't you go work for my dad until you can figure it out? Like, he needs a salesperson. You've been doing sales. I'm like, all right, fine. We can make that work. What does your dad do? And she said, he has a vault company. I didn't ask any questions. I was 21. I'm like, okay, vaults, piece of cake. Uh, every bank has one. People have them in their house. You put guns in them. You put money in them. This is easy. So I, I show up to this concrete plant for an interview, and I read the sign. It says, Wilbert Concrete Burial Vaults. Walked inside, asked where they made the bank vaults, and my father-in-law was like, yeah, we make burial vaults. I'm like, what the heck is that? Um, so that was bank vaults. Like, <laughs> 2004. And that's how I got duped in the death care. That was my first touch in, in death care. I worked on the manufacturing side of that business for two years, servicing graves, pouring concrete, stripping molds, stick them on liners, doing all the manual labor. I cost my father-in-law thousands of dollars in backing trucks into things and breaking things. Manual labor is not my deal. He finally realized that and put me in the sales role where I started calling on funeral homes and immediately noticed a disconnect between technology, the consumer, and then how funeral homes were operating. All I knew was marketing and advertising and what I had done in the past. And I brought those conversations into funeral homes, started blogging about those conversations in 2007 which morphed into what is now ConnectingDirectors.com, which is the largest online funeral publication on the planet. We had 50,000 funeral professionals a month, 212 different countries that read that publication. I started just taking a stance, though, with the publication on marketing and was talking about online marketing and different ways funeral homes could connect and build relationships with consumers, which led to opportunities to speak at conferences, which eventually led to 2012 leaving the vault company and launching Disrupt. We have a team of 30 now. Uh, we have an office in Ohio. We have a West Coast office in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, employees in six different states, two different countries, and clients all over the globe. So there you go. That's the background. That's how I got into death care. It was a trick. I thought I was going to go do something with money and vaults, and it was burial. So uh, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got tricked, Ryan. I really yeah, am. I am too, man. I, I really <laughs> fell in love with the profession. I fell in love with funeral directors. Like I think anybody that's in this profession has to have some level of dr- self-drive because it's a tough profession to be in. I've got a lot of respect for what funeral directors do day in and day out. I could not be a funeral director. I couldn't sit on the side of the table as they do and deal with the the situations and the things that they have to plan and, and life circumstances that they're involved in every single day. It's not my skill set, but my skill set is helping them connect with the consumer on the other side of the table so they can build a brand, have a conversation, build a relationship, which is going to ease that conversation for that consumer. Yeah, that's extremely valuable. And you would have to uh, dress the part. Yeah, too. yeah. So that's not going to work. <laughs> Which I did. I dressed the part. All right. We'll probably talk about fashion, but I'll just get into it right now. When I worked for my father-in-law and I made sales calls, I dressed the part, earrings out, clean shaven, no hat, suit and tie, cufflinks, the whole nine. I had some really dope suits. Like I I liked dressing up, (laughs) but it it really just wasn't – it didn't feel natural. In 2009 – I had been editing Connecting Directors for two years. Uh, I had about 5,000 subscribers to the blog at that point. A large following. People agreed with what I was writing. 2009, on a Saturday, I had a thought. I turned on a webcam in my basement, 
was in a t-shirt and jeans with a hat on and put my first video piece of content online. So up until that point through Connecting Directors, no one knew what I looked like. And I got absolutely annihilated. Like, you are so unprofessional. <laughs> you know, if you showed up at my funeral home looking like that, I'd kick you out. I can't believe we ever listened to a word that you had to say. And there was one guy, bless his heart, he's no longer with us, but was from Canada. And he jumped in the comments, like, I mean, hundreds of comments about how unprofessional I was. He's like, man, we've listened to this guy for two years. Everybody's agreed with him. But because he looks different now, all of a sudden, it's not credible. Like, this doesn't make sense. And there, one person out of thousands said something. And so I went to my father-in-law and I said, look, when, when I do my thing, can I get your permission to dress how I dress? Be me, be authentic, because that's how I feel businesses should be. Like authenticity and relationship will scale any company because you'll attract the right people. And I said, you know, when I make sales calls for you and work for you, I'll, I'll dress the part and, and do the things you need me to do. Because if I would have walked into funeral homes working for him dressed the way that I like to dress, it would have been negative impact on his business. I respected that. So right. yeah, we, we came to amicable agreement that when I did me and my brand, then I could be me. And when I worked for him, I, I had to look the part of a, of a salesperson. And that's really where it started. And it wasn't, you know, when I launched Disrupt, it wasn't for me about dressing different as a marketing scheme. It was really about authenticity. Like if you ran into me on a Saturday morning at a coffee shop, like that's how I was going to look. And also too, it's a good barrier to real conversation. If you can't get past the way that I look, then you're literally never going to listen to what we have to say if, if, if our company's working with you. And Someone that can yeah. finally get over the way that I look and actually listen, they'll get a lot of value out of conversation and a partnership. And I've had funeral directors come up to me after a speaking engagement like, look, man, I love everything you say. I agree with you 100%, but I can't stand the way you look, and therefore we can't work with you. And <laughs> fair, like, good. I thank you for being honest. I appreciate authenticity, and this is authentically who I am. I'm fine losing business being real than making more money being something that I'm not. Yeah, yeah, that definitely is something that I've noticed. I actually thought it was really funny. You did like a mean tweets type yeah. of content yeah. a while back yeah. where you read like all the negative things that <laughs> people <laughs> said about you or had commented about you. And I thought that was so hilarious because you know that, I mean, you're not oblivious to the negative perceptions that people have right. of you and you kind of almost like lean into it a little. And I personally think it's brilliant because in this case, all talk is good talk. Yeah. Right? People may talk negative or bad about you, but it's still, you're still in the conversation. And, you know, if I was selling social media marketing services and I found someone on social media putting out all this content, getting me to watch it, you know, I would relate that to this person knows how to do social media. So you if I needed think. help, like that would be the person I go to. <laughs> you would yeah, think. You would think. You you would think. think. <laughs> I mean, have you always been able to embrace that and just roll with the m momentum of the hater aid that people drink? Or did it ever affect you, especially when you first started? And came no, out? I could roll with it. I don't know. I think that that stems from, uh, I grew up in a really small town where everybody talked about everybody. I mm -hmm. was a Christian. Gotcha. I was very vocal about my faith growing up and, that brought it, its own set of hate and things along with it. So the ability to push other people's opinions out of the way, I don't know if that's a gift or that's just I'm so in tune with who God created me to be that I don't really care what anybody else has to say. It's never really 
wavered my opinion on how I'm going to do things. Do I show up to rooms sometimes and be like, oh man, like I create stories about what people possibly are thinking. And I mean, the stories are based off of comments that people have made and you know, like it, there, there's some of that that's factual and real and yeah, people are going to hate and they're going to say whatever they want to say. But I, I got to lean more into the people that are, wow, like we turned you off for three years. I wish I would have listened to you back then. And I, I would say probably the first five years of Disrupt, it worked against us. I mean, being me worked against getting more business. Now, it's one of the reasons that people are attracted to us. If we're going to talk about being different, then we have to model what it is that we're preaching. And I live it. I got no problem showing up to the room being the only one with splatter painted pants and bling all over a jacket in a room full of suits. That's okay. I'm comfortable with that because that's who I am. It's refreshing to hear that in a space that can be kind of stale and judgmental. Mm -hmm. So I like hearing that, especially from someone from the marketing side. You should be loud and proud. I find that authenticity resonates with me. Cool. Thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't heard uh, much about you except for what Tyler mentioned, but shifting gears a little bit, you've created like a lot of companies in the space and I'm sure you've learned a lot over uh, the years with all of these companies. Mm -hmm. What has the collection of all the death care companies that you've started taught you about death care? Stay in your lane. I'll explain that. Every company that we've started that's that's worked has been when I've stayed in the realm of what I know. So Connecting Directors was creating content and became the platform for being able to get eyeballs and get attention and build a brand. Disrupt was, okay, how do we how do we take long-form content that I'm writing and put context behind it in short-form content that actually builds a relationship and builds engagement. Funeral Nation, same thing. It's what you guys are doing here with this podcast. It's it's creating exposure. It's creating attention. It's bringing another flavor, bringing another opinion into the conversation. Jeff and I are very kind of yin and yang. We agree on a lot, but we have different perspectives on just about everything. And it creates for good conversation. Death care jobs, again, that's building exposure for somebody that needs to hire someone. We have a platform with a lot of eyeballs, and we can put that in there. The companies that I've started that weren't inside my lane in death care, that most people don't even remember. Like We started a social media network, uh, cdsocial.com, way back in 2008, 2009, something like that. Uh, Started a crowdfunding site called sofun.us because I had a lot of startup companies coming to me for consulting and you know, they had these big dreams of launching a company in death care. And I think, I, I mean, I remember having this conversation with Tyler. So look, if you don't have operating expenses for a run rate of 24 to 36 months without generating any clients, then it's going to be a really hard opportunity to launch something in, the, in this business or in this profession. And so the crowdfunding site was an idea of like, okay, if there's enough support for it in the marketplace, can people fund it internally and get products launched, get services launched. There was one successful funding campaign and it was my own and it was t-shirts. So that was a colossal waste of money and a fail. There's been plenty of other things that I've started that haven't worked. But every time I start something that hasn't worked, it's when I've gotten outside of, of my lane and what I know. And I think that's just something you learn as an entrepreneur. There's ways to make money doing just about anything, but just making a little bit of money doesn't deem it successful. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm glad you brought up some of the, we like to call them like fails or businesses that we started. I mean, we made, went through a massive 
pivot before starting Parting Pro. And, you know, most successful, even the big tech companies that do that never really started with what they mm -hmm. were or what their final product yeah. looks like. So this kind of brings me into the next point I want to talk about. When you go to, I forget what year it was. It was like four or five years ago, Parting Pro had gotten its first booth and it was like right across from your booth. And at your booth, you brought your wife and your two daughters. And I, I didn't know at the time, but it seems like they're always with you. Like they, they travel with you, yeah. they go to the shows. And I saw your two daughters and I don't remember at the time they were super young, but they were out there talking to funeral directors. They had no fear, no shyness, just like grinding, you yeah. know? And by exposing them so early to that, like, what are you trying to teach them? I don't know we took it that deep. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. When you have young kids, so I think we figured out at NFDA or ICCFA this year, that was my oldest daughter's 12th convention. So she'd been coming to wow. conferences since she was four. And it <laughs> literally was, we had the freedom to be able to do it. So why not bring them along? You know, as you're building a company, conventions are expensive. So when you have a limited number of employees and you're trying to go to a conference in 2008 and it's, <laughs> you know, you, you got to bring the majority of your team to the conference because you only have a handful of people. Plugging my wife and kids in made sense. Was there any marketing ploy behind it? Not, not really. I mean, it's a good gimmick. Nobody tells a four-year-old no when they try to hand you something. Yeah. But <laughs> right, what people right, don't right. understand is my kids work the booth. Like they have conversations. They're around it all day. Like they hear the demos and things that I do when I was at home, they heard the conversations. I mean, you know how it is when you're starting a company, there's really no off button. I'm much better yeah. at, at creating space and freedom now than I was when we were first starting the company. So they heard it. They knew every rebuttal. They heard every conversation. I had a funeral home in Singapore call me after the 2018 NFDA convention. They said, hey, we're ready to sign up. And I'm like, well, we haven't done a demo or anything. Let's let's do a demo. They said, no, we're ready. We've got the pricing. We we know the gist of it. I'm like, well, who did you talk to? So we talked to a young blonde haired girl at the convention. I'm like, oh, that's my daughter. <laughs> She's 10. Like, but who else did you talk to? They said, nobody. <laughs> she answered all of our questions. And so that was a, a kind of a pivotal moment for me that there's massive impact. It cost me a lot less to bring them to the convention than it does to pull an employee out of a role for four days and, and put them in a booth. So and we wanted the value to be able to travel together. My wife loves to travel. My kids love to travel. Is is a convention their ideal trip? No, but they love it. Like when we didn't have conferences for two years, like they were like sad they didn't get to go. They have their own relationships. They've got vendors that they run up to and say hi to that, that give them handouts and popcorn and things every year. And I think that this not thing like this business is 100 percent relationship driven. Death care is in general. And so that's just a deeper extension. Like I know clients, families, they know our family, and it's been valuable to be able to travel. Our kids have always been homeschooled, not by really our choice. They never wanted to go to kindergarten. They did the whole preschool thing. We're like, yeah, we don't really want to go to school. And my wife started homeschooling them from day one. Now they're a part of a, an online virtual academy, which is dope. They do everything through Zoom. So we have the freedom. They've always had the freedom to just take school with them and, and go with us. But there's a value add. I think that we've lost a lot of the ability to shake somebody's hand and look them in the eye and have a conversation. And I'll stand firmly on this. I don't think that there is a single thing 
in 13 years of school that they will ever learn that's more valuable than the ability to step in an aisle, shake a hand, look somebody in the eye, and have a conversation. That skill will serve them much farther along in their life than anything they're going to learn in any class ever. And I'll go to my grave saying that. So I love it. Uh, The opportunity they get to build relationships and be with us and be a part of the the brand and be a part of the business is cool. I don't care if they want to do this or not when they get older. Like if they don't ever want to come work for us, I don't expect them to. I kind of hope that they don't. I want them to find their own thing. I think more so of what my wife and I have really honed in on teaching them is that the sky's the limit. Nobody can hold you down just because you're a woman. Nobody can hold you down just because of this or that. Like you've got the ability to do whatever you want. Here's how you go create. And they understand the value that they have of the device that they have in their pocket. That device can destroy your life or it can make you insanely wealthy and successful and change the world. You have the choice of how you're going to use it. And they get to kind of see us live that on a, on a day-to-day basis. And it's, it's fun to have them in our world. They can go to client dinners and I don't have to carry the conversation the whole time. how much of that do you let on i mean entrepreneurship is hard emotionally physically mentally there's so many ups and downs and yeah you know you're the head of i don't know how many companies but a lot and me (laughs) and so how much of the peaks and valleys of entrepreneurship do they see like when you lose a big client or when a business is not doing and you're not hitting the numbers that you were looking to hit like do you let them see that side of it too we're super transparent they get it all mm-hmm. they know when things don't go right they know when things are going well because it's always a teaching moment and they'll ask like hey whatever happened with this person we took to dinner or this conversation did they ever do a demo and i have those conversations with them and and so does my wife they hear the struggles of the joys of running a team, the pains of running a team, all of it, they get it all. And I think it's valuable for them because it's real. And I don't think my wife and I really can operate unauthentically. It's ingrained in both of us. And that's why it's worked so well, because our life is very transparent. We're very open about what we do and why we do it and how we do it. And our kids are not really protected from any of that. They come right along with us and they see the good, they see the bad, they see us overcome. They understand that failing is just an opportunity to get it right. And I also think it's important that they learn to lose. We we probably spend more time teaching on the losses than we do the wins. We celebrate the wins for sure, but we go deeper probably with the losses because I think it's important that they understand that there's going to be losses. You're going to lose. You got to learn how to shoulder it. You got to learn how to take another step, get back up, keep going. I think that's lost. So we run a pretty tight ship. I shouldn't say we. My, my wife is is definitely more of the boundary parent, which is probably why my kids have the ability to go stand in a booth for four hours and behave because they've been raised with boundaries and respect. So it's a good partnership between her and I. And yeah, the kids see it all, man. Like it affects them. When you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. everything that we do is hinges around the success of the businesses. So every decision that I make, if I'm going to be gone for two weeks traveling with clients, that's a sacrifice for them. Dad's not home for two weeks. So anytime that I can reward them and bring them along with me, and we're going to make that happen because they're as much a part of this thing as, as anybody else is. That's awesome. That's really nice to hear. And with your transparency, it's just like a such an honest approach to parenting. And I can only imagine that your kids unknowingly just appreciate that. I can only imagine, you know, and I'm sure it served you well in your relationship with yeah. them and, and your wife. So that's just, that's lovely to hear, Ryan, Thank really. You. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about social media where you have a lot of expertise. 
This is specifically for funeral directors and funeral homes. What is the most valuable social platform for funeral directors and funeral homes to be on? I mean, currently right now it's Facebook simply because the demographic that's most profitable to them is is most present on that network. But I think it's highly important that they understand the context around TikTok and Instagram Reels because that's next. Like they've got to understand how to be able to mm-hmm. storytell consistently throughout a day to build relationship. And look, the, the reason social makes so much sense for a funeral home is not because it's a it's a good trick to get in front of anybody. It's, you know, you can target, like all those things are great and there's a lot of tactics. But if you strip it down, the reason that that social makes so much sense is because it's authenticity and it's relationship. 80% of funeral home business is relationship driven. So if, if relationships aren't a key focal point of their marketing, sure, they'll serve a family once, but they won't serve that family again. That family's just gonna go on to somebody else. I think the last statistic I read is that a funeral home serves a family once every 15 years. That's a long time to keep somebody's attention. And there's a lot of other noise. There will be a funeral home in every single market or a cemetery in every single market that owns that market online. It's either going to be our client or it's going to be someone else. Every funeral home has the choice. But Facebook provides the most upside in terms of dollar for dollar return. Can we build a lot of exposure on TikTok? Yeah. I mean, we can create a TikTok that's going to get 500,000 views <laughs> tomorrow. Like that's very easy to do the way the algorithm is is on TikTok. You've probably got another 12 months where going viral is easy and creating attention is easy before they start to really heavily monetize and they tweak the algorithm like everybody else has. So understanding how to play in the context of what it provides now is imperative because everything will get built upon that type of interaction. But how do you quantify 500,000 views for a funeral home in a 2,000 person town? You can't. But the value of being there and playing there is understanding how the conversation works. Facebook is where we can we can create the dollar for dollar return. Okay. That doesn't mean that um, Instagram and TikTok won't be valuable. They absolutely will as, as the demographic switch and right. You know, it's about 38% of people over the age of 45 are active on Instagram. It's over 75% on Facebook. So that's a pretty drastic change. Um, But there's leveraging we can do through Facebook to find those right people on Instagram where they can still have a presence without managing a feed every day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If people want to get into the weeds, I know you share a ton of content on your website and your blog and connecting directors and just everything you do. So... I don't know if we need to go too deep into the step-by-steps here, yeah. but uh, just know that any of those channels you'll be able to find because <laughs> he's on he's on all of them and he puts out great content that you should definitely uh, check out. Thank you. Um, uh, and we'll plug, we'll plug all those addresses at the end. Yeah, that's cool. And look, we're getting ready to drop a video this afternoon that is uh, titled, I spent $5 million on funeral home Facebook ads. Here's what we learned. So we're a pretty open book on like what it is that the data that we share. I want mm-hmm. funeral homes to win. Whether they use our whether they use disrupt or they use somebody else, I would be wrong if I didn't say that we were the the best. I wouldn't be in business if I didn't think that we were the best. Nobody's playing for second place, at least I hope not. So do I think that we can do a better job? Absolutely, but I think it's important that they get in the game and they start to understand how to create connection authentically through content, because that is the, absolutely the future. What would your advice be to like a, maybe not a shy funeral director, but you know, a funeral director that maybe 
doesn't believe in their skill set mm -hmm. on social, but wants to push themselves to be on social and to do the right thing. Maybe they don't have the budget to hire disrupt. What would your recommendation to be for that funeral director to do like an action item on social, uh, whether it be consistently or, or whatever, what would you tell them? Well, number one, an easy post that they could do just to see the value of social and how their community are, wants to engage with them already, whether they're putting content out or not, is walk out in front of your funeral home and take a picture. Take a picture of the funeral home at night with lights shining on a flag. Like very easily, it doesn't have to be Photoshop. Just take a photo and put it up and watch the interaction around it because that's simple and it's easy and it takes zero skill to take a picture on a smartphone. But I get asked all the time, I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to be on video. I'm afraid of people saying something negative. How do I get comfortable being on video? If I stood in the batter's box with a pitcher throwing a 100 mile an hour fastball, I'm not going to be comfortable in that batter's box the first 100 times I'm in that batter's box. But if I consistently show up in that batter's box, I will eventually get more comfortable and I'll be able to take a swing and have a bat. They just got to have a bats. Uh, you got to turn the camera on and you got to start with a prompt and you may have to write it down and hang it on a sheet of paper on the wall and literally read it. But at least you're on camera. Nobody's expecting you to be a movie star. No one's expecting you to be absolutely perfect. Uh, we have a rule when I create content, it's one take. Whatever comes out, comes out. And that keeps it authentic. Wow. That keeps I it like real. that. It's hard, um, but yeah. it also forces us to be intentional about the content that we create. Right. Every piece of content has a purpose. Whether I'm taking pictures of shoes and putting them on Instagram on a story or I'm dropping a video about how we spent $5 million on Facebook ads for a funeral home, this is what we learned. Both have value for different reasons that are building relationship and building context around who we are and who I am. So the first thing I tell clients, like, if they're like, I don't want to be on video, I'm like, great. There's somebody on your team that's okay with it. Put them on video. But you practice. Go stand in front of the mirror and talk to yourself for three minutes. Like, get comfortable because your business can't survive without you having a brand, a personal brand. Because 80% of your business is relationship-driven. That's why you spend six hours a week going to service meetings and different organization club meetings and rotary and all these things you're not gaining any business from it but you're making relationships social is not any different you're literally building relationships so that when somebody's in a time of need or they're ready to pre-plan you're the funeral home that they think of and the funeral director they think of that personal brand is far more important than the business brand yeah that's very enlightening it it's funny because I always found it really astounding how few pictures of like the funeral home people put up. Yeah. And, like you're trying to have an event, you're trying to have a host a funeral and like I can't see yeah. what your chapel looks like or what your building looks like. Like what if I show up and it's just some, you know, room and you know, it doesn't take much now. Everyone has a high quality camera yeah. in their pocket. So. There's no excuses. Something like that. And look, the value of that is that it's organic. So you know, there's yeah. organic content and there's generic content and everybody's seen generic content. That's the bulk of what's out there. It's grief and inspirational posts, it's Bible quotes, it's things that make sense for a funeral home <laughs> to post. But when you take a picture sure, of a building, sure. you take a picture of your chapel, you take a picture of your hearse, you take a picture of your, your landscaping, you highlight the local, you know, lawn care company that's mowing your grass, like hundreds of people will engage with that. 
Is that bringing you no more business? Absolutely not. But it's it's building a connection because every time somebody interacts, there's something that happens. So, Will, you and I, I don't think we've ever met in person, but you know a lot about me because you've digested content. There's a relationship that's been built through that content yeah. engagement. Funeral homes and funeral directors, they they act like normal consumers when they leave the funeral home and they forget that they're serving a normal consumer. So the actions that they're taking outside of the funeral home, buying on Amazon, streaming Netflix, clicking on ads, doing all the things is the same thing their consumer is doing. If you've got the ability to be in, in front of 75% of your most profitable demographic on a daily basis with something that's valuable and it takes very little effort, why would you say no to that? And automating it isn't going to get the results that you want because we couldn't automate this podcast. Like if you asked me a question and I didn't respond and you just asked the next question, that's what automation <laughs> is. Like if you automated an arrangement process, it would be insanely unvaluable. So if you're automating social and just pushing content out and it doesn't matter what anybody says or if there's any engagement, then you're really not doing any value whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. Yeah, it is. Even though this is a death care podcast, we do like to talk to people. We like to know about them, what makes them tick, what they're up to. And we've obviously spent some time in death care right now. But I wanted to ask you about your health slash personal development coach work. I know that's something that I've seen a lot more. I feel like I know you just because I, <laughs> I'm still like, I know you more, more than us just hanging out because I see your life on yeah. Instagram and Facebook. And lately, it's been more about the health and personal development coach work. And I, I was just kind of wanted to see like, what is the quick elevator pitch on what that yeah. is? Who is it for? And what are you looking to help people achieve with that? It's Literally for everybody, I feel like everybody needs a coach in their life. I mean, you think about it when we struggle with something. Like if I wanted to learn how to program, I would hire somebody to teach me how to program. If I wanted to get better at golf, I'll hire a coach. If I want to get better at eating right, I'm going to hire some sort of health coach or someone that's going to meal prep and make me a plan. We hire people for all areas of our life except life. And life is the hardest thing that we're ever going to do. We get business coaches, we get coaches for literally everything. But when it comes to like life and just creating the life that you want, we try to do it alone. And it's kind of the entrepreneur mindset that I don't need anybody else. I can do this by myself. And I was that guy until 2016. I had a friend reach out to me that I respected. And they said, Hey, I'm starting something new. I think you'd be interested in it. I'm like, what is it? He's like a mastermind. I'm like, ah, oh, bro, look, man, I don't mastermind. <laughs> that's not my gig. Like I, I picture a mastermind is I'm going to send you thousands of dollars. And in six weeks, I'm going to have a beach house and a Ferrari. And I don't really think it works that way. <laughs> and I'm like, though, I would like those things. I don't think this is the way that I'm going to get them. And he's like, no, no, this is different. He's like, uh, this is because I'm putting together a group of five entrepreneurs, all Christian men from different parts of the country. And I think it would benefit you. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, look, I respect you. I'll show up. I'll show up to the first call. And I did. And I called him back. And I'm like, man, okay, I get it now. Can I pay for the whole year up front? And he's like, why would you want to do that? I'm like, because if I don't commit, then financially, I'm not going to show up. And I think this could have real impact. And so coaching really changed my life. I've had a life coach and been in a mastermind for, well, since 2016. So it's six years. The impact that it's had on my marriage is me as a father getting clear on, on what my values are and what I want out of life and what I'm trying to create, which has given me more purpose in my businesses. 
There's a lot more intention of how I live. That's really changed my life dramatically. And so I feel like I have the ability to have impact in death care in that way. You strip down. I spent a lot of time analyzing the problems that funeral homes have. Why Why is one funeral home consistently been a 110 call firm for 30 years? Like when, when there's eight other funeral homes around them that they could be getting more business, what's keeping them stuck at 110 calls historically? And there's a lot of mindset problems, generational patterns, generational chains, a lot of different things that weigh on us and limiting beliefs. And so if we can start to move those things out of the way, I really think that that's the foundation. If funeral professionals can get recharged for life because they spend over 100% of their time serving everybody else, burnout's a real thing. If you're not getting your cup filled in any way, then you're not going to be able to serve at the highest level. So you know, when I talk to a high level funeral director and they're like, oh yeah, my life is great. And I'm like, cool. When was the last time you had a vacation? Yeah, I can't take a vacation. Like, you know, there, there's, there's real guilt <laughs> yeah. that if I take a vacation and Mrs. Smith dies and I went to high school with her son and then they come to the funeral home and I'm not there, they're going to be mad. That's completely false and a limiting belief, but it, it holds back so many funeral professionals. So there's like this commonality. And I fully believe that if we fix that part of the business, then the services that you offer, the services that I offer make a lot more sense because funeral homes are wanting to grow and they're wanting to to scale and they want a better life and they want to achieve different things. And they actually have vision and goals and understand that their thoughts can manifest and, and they can start creating that life that they manifest in their brain. So as I've seen the impact of that on my life, I've resisted it. And I feel like it was something that I was really called to offer to death care. It's muddied the waters. People are like, wait a second, you still do social media or are you just doing personal development? And I'm just like, yes, I do both, all of it. Um, health has been a part of that. So <laughs> I lost 40 pounds in 2017, gained most of it back. And then I've lost 70 pounds total since 2017. And it's changed my life from the how I feel, how I show up mental clarity, like yeah. all the things. And when someone starts changing their mindset, health is usually a part of that process. So the health program that we coach is really designed more as a personal development program because yeah, you can lose weight, but if you don't change your lifestyle and your thought patterns, then you're just going to put that weight back on. So it's another tool in the tool belt that we can, that we can offer. It's not, it's not my main gig. Uh, social is the main thing, but I do have a passion for personal development coaching because I fully believe that that's the root of a lot of the hurdles that we face in death care. Um, and if we can address that, now people have the freedom to scale and build and grow and, and really build the life that they want. Yep. Yeah. Congrats on the weight loss. Yeah, <laughs> thank Seriously. You. Thanks. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And, and also all the... Uh... All the cool brands will fit better, right? That's exactly right, man. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I want to talk about fashion a little bit. I do know you, you do wear a lot of stuff that is outside of what I would wear, but I do appreciate the shoes that you have. And so, <laughs> you know, this is totally unrelated, and I'm sure most people will skip this part or not know what we're talking about, but what shoes are your grails? Oh, man, uh, Yeezy 350s, Jordan 1s, Jordan 3s are my favorite. I try to snag every pair of Yeezys that come out from the, the 350s, 450s, the 700s, 500s. I like them all. Slides. Got all those. You know, for me, <laughs> fashion is more confidence and it is just authentic to who I am. 
it's confidence. Like you have to be confident in yeah. who you are authentically, not confidence in an arrogance. Like that, that's not what I mean. Like mm. I'm very confident in who I am and who I was created to be. Fashion just falls in line with that. I, I like to look a certain way. I'm big on relationship and conversation. And luckily my choice of fashion creates a lot of conversation. And I think at the end of the day, you know, God put me on this planet to have positive impact. And that's pretty broad, I know. But whether that's through changing somebody's business through social media, changing their life through health, personal development, whatever that is, whatever it looks like, that positive impact, a lot of times the conversation will start around something that I'm wearing. That's the piece that breaks the ice. And I like it because I'm not the guy that's going to walk into a room and just start creating conversation. I'm much more comfortable in front of a thousand people with a microphone than I am walking into a room of 20 funeral directors that I don't know. And I got to go around and make small talk. So a lot of times the fashion is the icebreaker that gets me into conversation. So it works in my benefit that way. But shoes became a driver and I have an addictive personality and I guess fashion and shoes aren't a bad thing comparatively speaking, but when I was a kid, I remember the first pair of shoes that I really wanted were Reebok pumps. And I remember having a conversation with my parents about how they <laughs> couldn't afford Reebok pumps. And he, my dad said, hey, I was like, well, so-and-so has them. And like, yeah, well, his dad probably makes X. And I remember thinking that that must be like that amount of revenue or income must just be mm. massive. And realizing that it really wasn't as soon as I could start buying what I couldn't have as a kid, it just started multiplying and I got a little crazy with it. So <laughs> I do have quite a bit of shoes that, that align with kind of my brand and fashion and it's become a thing. And so what, what's, what's the best pair? What's your number one pair? Oh, man, probably my absolute favorite pair right now. And I go through seasons. Like I wear three fifties, the most easy three fifties cause they're super comfortable mm -hmm. and but my probably my absolute favorite pair are my all pink Christian Louboutins high tops. Oh. Um, <laughs> I really like those. Like it's when when you can wear a bright hot pink pair of shoes into a room, it creates conversation, man. People notice, and that makes it easier for me to engage. Nice, nice. I, I love that you're a fan of pumps. I, I grew up on pumps. <laughs> man, I have I've had like probably four, four or five uh, original <laughs> pair. Yeah. I'm still holding oh, I, wow. I want the uh, the Chang, um, Michael Chang. I want the ones with the yellow tennis ball. I haven't pulled the trigger on those on StockX yet, but that's that'll be the next pair of pumps I get. What is the going rate on StockX right now? Um, on those, I thought ones, things would like start falling, eight. but yeah, like still, things have gone up. The shoe game still hasn't, it goes through yeah. seasons. And look, that's something that I started and failed. I started a resale business during COVID because it gave me something to take my mind off social. That failed. Like I, I sent a lot of shoes to, to <laughs> fake credit card purchases and lost a lot of money, but oh, uh, it was fun. Really? I realized that hustling to make 25 bucks, if I just put that energy into something else, it would be a lot more profitable. I'll just hoard sneakers for my own enjoyment, <laughs> but I gift a lot of sneakers. So like, I like generosity. A lot of teenagers are, are attracted to my lifestyle and ask a lot of questions and sneakers are typically a way that I can create conversation and, and have impact. So a, a lot of what I get now, if I get multiple pairs of something, uh, they become gifts and, and way to bless somebody else. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I like that. I like that. That's a great approach. Buy one, give one. That's right. That's right. It's fun. <laughs>
So we've asked kind of a culminating question on this podcast to all of our guests, and we're going to hit you with it. All right. Where do you think death care will be in 10 years? On an Oculus. So, I mean, that's, that's probably crazy, but I think that everything we can do in person right now, we'll be able to do through an Oculus. Like I fully envision being able to go to a conference and have a booth and be in Scottsdale still. The ability to attend calling hours, shake the hand, hug somebody virtually will be a real thing. But I think that death care is protected in a way that we'll never be able to remove the human element fully out of it. I think that we have to have all the options available. I think what you know, what you do with Parting Pro is an absolute necessity and every funeral hall must have that option available because there's going to be families that want to fully be served that way. The same way there's going to be families that are fully fine with throwing virtual reality goggles on and attending calling hours and meeting with a funeral home and, you know, the ability to pull out a casket, put it up in the front of a chapel, throw some flowers in and see what it's going to look like. I think that's a reality of where we go for real. I think that's why I'm so passionate about social right now is that it can't be ignored because everything that comes after this is going to build upon the principles that we're establishing currently right now today. And if we don't understand how to communicate with a 13-year-old through the platforms that they use, we're not going to know how to communicate with them when they're 45 planning the funeral of a loved one because they're not going to change their behavior simply because it's death care. So my team and I will have, I'm in Scottsdale. My creative team is all in Ohio. We have Oculus. We'll get it in a Horizon workroom. We'll whiteboard. We'll high five. We'll do all the things until I get motion sick and then they got to come off. But we can still connect <laughs> in that realm. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's where funerals go. Um, I think that that we we get more integrated in technology. Technology becomes an asset to funeral homes as they embrace it. There's so many tools that they can use online planning and serving a family online, whether it's through an AI chatbot that pops up, whether it's through a roadmap that walks them through everything that they need to choose and the data that they need input. Like, I think that that is all real. And we're, we're in that environment right now. Like literally planning online is a thing and families will do it and they'll opt for it when given the opportunity. But I think the thing that that really is valuable is funeral directors need to learn how to still have humanality and connect through those ways. Yeah, we always like to push. I mean, you know, obviously we like to say we can automate a lot of your tasks, but there's nothing that replaces the genuine phone call or the warmth or just the empathy that you can express absolutely as a human to another human. Yep. Right? Everything we have is tools, but it's not it's not a replacement. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Why don't you plug all your stuff? Where can people find you? Where are you listed? <laughs> Man, I'm, I am fully active on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you just Google Ryan Thogmartin or at Ryan Thogmartin on any network, you'll find me and you'll find content. If you're not following me personally, like follow the brand. The brand does good content through Disrupt. It's all like, you know, tailored to funeral homes, but I would love to connect personally if you got questions about who I am and my motives and why I do things like before you write me <laughs> off, because I look like an idiot, just get on and give me a shot. Let's engage. You know, I put out a lot of valuable content that we could charge infinite amount of money for that, that literally could change your life and change your business. So I just want to connect, man. I want to provide value and, and be impactful. And my life goal is that when I die, I can pack a football stadium. I want to be able to impact people that much that, if you can get people to come to a funeral with all the technology that will exist when I'm 125 and I die, then 
Like if we can get that many people to show up, dope. I've made some impact and and I left a legacy and that's what right really matters. Uh, you gonna be buried in Yeezys or? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll be buried in in Yeezys or whatever <laughs> shoe is hot at the moment, and uh, my casket will be full of Skittles. Skittles. Right. So, Sweet, uh, I love Skittles. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks, Ryan. It's been a pleasure, thanks, and I think it was very enlightening to, you know, obviously hear the human element from you because we we do get the social media and it's actually not that far it's not that different right um you are you are as authentic about what you put on social media as you are in person so i appreciate appreciate you man thank you guys if you want to connect find ryan on all those all those platforms he's there and accessible also for funeral directors connecting directors is a great resource they have all the news and everything there as well so yep so thanks a lot ryan thank you Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you ever want to know more, please find us at directcremation.com. 